Well, hello, Jacob. I've got an uncreative, creative question for you today. Love it. All right. Well, my question is, how do you use creativity in your classroom in reading and writing workshop? I try to do, I don't know, creativity is so much a part of my life that I think it's kind of hard not to use it in a lot of ways. I find that when I'm unhappy with my class or I'm not feeling where it's going or I feel like the kids aren't feeling it, it's usually because there's because there's not a lot of creativity happening for some reason. Like I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready for a test. I'm uh, doing something that I don't want to, that I kind of have to do, something like that. And I can... I can feel when things aren't rolling the way they need to. And during those times, that, that's usually when I'm not being creative. So I, I usually that's when I try to do something kind of spontaneous or I try to do something that isn't so restricted by the standards or something like that. So, for instance, uh, a few weeks ago when we were jumping, we had just done tons of informational and I was like, ah, okay, I'm kind of done with this. So we had like three days where we just kind of listened and watched and examined different slam poems and just that, just finding different ways to show something uh, that tends to be where that creativity is, at least in the lesson side. Now, the writing workshop, because of the foundation I've built and just how often we conference and how kids are just, they're primed in their brains, especially by now in December, that they know the, they know that creativity is coming. So there's, I forget, there's an author quote that basically says, I'm so thankful creativity starts at like 4.30 a.m., right? He's talking about how he shows up every day at 4.30 to his desk. Um, and it's being sarcastic because it's it's like you, if you plan every single day to be somewhere all the time, your your body, be, it, it naturally goes into that mode. So you don't have to find creativity. Just It just happens because that's what's happening in that time at that specific time. And my kids know that within... You know, we have our mini lesson, read time, and then it's write time every single time. The flow is almost always the same. And so I think that creativity just spontaneously comes. So the answer is this, to, to sum up what I just said, when I'm bored, I, I spice things up and get things rolling. That way I feel invested and they feel invested. And part of the creativity, the way I use it, is building it into the structure of the class so it just blossoms naturally. At least that's the goal. All right. Well, with that, we're going to begin our podcast. Welcome to Craft and Draft with Jacob Chastain and Pam Ochoa. And today we're going to kind of delve into this idea of creativity. Not quite sure where it's going to take us, but let's be creative. (laughs) Right. I was going to say, before we kind of jump into that, um, I was going to ask you how your... Your your week went coming back from Thanksgiving because I had a I had a false start to my own. And I'll tell that story in a second, but I wanted to. We oh. hadn't had a chance to catch up. But how was uh how was your week coming back? Were kids squirrely? Were they? Was it a good rest that they had, or did it seem no different? I've had I've had multiple reactions from different teachers around me, so I was curious. <laughs> how's your week? 
Well, I had a few kids that seemed to re- relieved to be back. I yeah. uh, don't know what they go through exactly, but I did have a few go, I'm so glad to be back. Uh, no, I didn't really notice. I mean, I don't think we really skipped too much of a beat. I just kind of let them talk at the beginning of the class and said, hey, just like you did me, how was your, your week? What did y'all do? Anybody want to share? We kind of did that, and then we jumped into it. But... I, you know, I tell you, Jacob, you you talked to me about this, I guess it was two years ago or so, about how you, and I, I was in your classroom, so I know how you use music. And I just think that that helps. So on those days that I'm going to be unsure a little bit, I'll say, hey, are y'all in just a little bit of music? And then they they tell me what they want and I do what I want. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, playing that music kind of helps soothe them a little bit. Kind of helps yeah. them a little bit. It really does. Are you so are you are you playing soothing music? Or are you playing music? I really am playing. Well, I'm really playing soothing music because what really happened was, I said, "What what music do y'all want to listen to?" And I was shocked. They they really all said Disney music. I mean, they did, and I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so <laughs> I just, I mean, I love Disney music, but that's what they ask for, and so. I turned on one of those little ambiance YouTube ambiance things where you can see the crackling of the fire. And then I played Disney music without the words, you know, some of the acoustic or classical on the piano and stuff like that. They all seem to like it. So then I tried it in uh, my next class and I said, y'all want to listen to this or this? Oh, that Disney music helps us think. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So, I've been doing a lot of that. I played jazz the other day. So I do kind of do a little bit, but it's more soothing. You know, I've uh, actually been playing a little bit of jazz, believe it or not. I'm not even a jazz fan. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a guy named uh, Leslie Odom Jr. who plays Aaron Burr in the Hamilton musical. And I've already talked about my Hamilton right. obsession. And uh, that obsession has extended to reading the biography, which I'm still reading because it's ma- it's massive. Um, but it's also extended into stalking all of the actors and actresses in the play. And a lot of them have music careers now because of the success of mm-hmm. that. And him specifically, he has, if people follow me on Instagram, uh, I shared that his this album that I'm listening to of his is it's, it's astonishing. It's extremely good, both in how it's made. There's so many nods to different genres, but it's very jazzy. There's some funk elements. Um, and I'm just kind of obsessed. And he shared my post the other day that I uh, tagged him in on Instagram. So I felt like we had oh. a moment of just, just, uh, just a high five, you know, a virtual high five. But uh, it was, it was good. So I've had that playing a little bit, and kids have enjoyed it, especially some of the kids who know who Hamilton is. I kind of give a nod to them, and they're like, "Oh my god, that's that guy!" And so it's right. been, it's been fun. But yeah, the, I'm, uh, the music thing I think is so underlooked and I get a lot of mileage out of my students. You know, we, we listen to a lot of the songs that they know. Um, Mm -hmm. I skip over some because I do, I am aware of some of the songs and I'm like, nah, I'm not gonna be playing that. But for the most part, you know, the clean versions are clean enough to where I'm like, you know, if they're, if they know the words and they're listening to it, then it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like we're not blasting it. I'm not playing anything too, intense but there are times where i play some of the more relaxing stuff there's some there's piano music that are like covers of popular songs without words um Mm -hmm. those are not those are nice go-to's that way kids can still sing it but there's you know 
it's kind of musical. Right. I, I know a lot of teachers use, uh, they'll use famous rap uh, beats or kind of like the hip hop beats, but without any of the lyrics because there's kind of just the instrumentals that exist. Okay, um, yeah. That kids can listen to that way too if people don't want to run the risk of words popping out through your speakers while an administrator's walking through or something like that. Right. So. That's, you know, that is one of the things. And uh, I share, I share a room, um, my friend, we have um, a, a door, I mean, a wall that opens up. So it's not soundproof. So I have to kind of watch for her sake, how loud I am. Cause she's our online teacher. And she's always on Zoom, like she's on Zoom all day long almost. So I never know who she's talking to. So I kind of just keep it a little toned down. But but the kids seem to enjoy it. The other day, they all broke out into clapping and all that stuff. But I have played, we were doing poetry right now. And I was trying to get them to hear the rhythm of poems and how poems have, you know, when we speak, we have different rhythms and things like that. So we were playing rhythmic stuff, like what you're talking about, the rap and different things. They thought that was kind of fun, but I was like, y'all are going to turn it down. Everybody can hear us downstairs and upstairs. So they got all kind of real loud and got all excited. So, but it's kind of neat, you know, it's good that they all got involved. I think that's important, but well, no, I think, go ahead. No, I, to answer your question, I felt like this week went really well, but I think I did do, uh, we, we were doing poetry, we read poetry, uh, we did, I started, actually, I'll tell you what really happened, we started the week, you know, that, that wall that I'm telling you about, the entire wall, and I, I don't know if you've seen it or not, I don't know if you've been in my room, but the entire wall is, is, um, whiteboard like the whole wall is whiteboard Mm -hmm. so you can just write all over my room and so the kids I started talking to them about how poets are the masters of their words and I talked about how words are wonderful and that we need to you know if you're going to be writing and doing things like that you need to kind of get into words so I said what are some of your most favorite words and that's how we began that day after after I let them talk now I remember and, you know, they just got all excited. I can't tell you. One of the kids said, why don't we just fill up the wall with words? And so that's what we're doing. I have nothing but words all over my wall. I have got, I got, of course, I had to have supercalifragilisticexpialidocious because that was the the biggest word they knew by heart. But then after that, they started, I've got curmudgeon on my door, on my wall. I've got, they started looking up words. I've got the longest word ever, which is the volcano sickness. And I've got, you know, but then I've got really good words too. So we've, we've, I've been using that word wall that they created and, you know, we've got ubiquitous, we've got juxtapose. We have some pretty big words because once they looked up one, they started looking up all the other ones that were similar to it. And so we had a lot of fun with words. And I think starting that way was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> there's a couple things there that, that kind of reminded me of the the power of words. I mean, we've talked about on the podcast how you've done, you know, your relish lesson and cloud and all oh, that yes, other stuff. Yes, yes. But they, uh, you know, I relished I've, in it. <laughs> There's a there's a website called I'd have to look it up, but I've used it before. But it's it's basically 
the dictionary for unnamed emotions or something like that. If you just oh, Google okay. that, but they're, they're really cool. The person that made the website, the website exploded. It became hugely popular. I think they're coming out with a book that kind of does this. And they're just words that mean like unique things. Like there's one word that stands for like that feeling of being sad that you can only exist in your body and not any other people's bodies, like weird stuff like that. But then there's also stuff that's like, uh, the feeling of realizing that everyone you see on the road has other lives and you will probably never come into contact or enter theirs um, and stuff like that, like feelings like in kind of mm-hmm. weird stuff like that. And we've pulled words like that from my students, too. I've done it as writing exercises, kind of quick writes, but just looking at these um, you know, talking about the meanings. Do we connect any of these? Have you ever had these thoughts? And then do a quick write on the one that you connect to. And I've had a couple pieces spawn from that. So a creative way to kind of just break the monotony of read a piece, analyze a piece, right? Just kind of give them stuff right. that's a little bit different. So, you know, the the I don't think enough can be said about just appreciating words and putting words in front of kids that they don't always see because like that's the that's the natural way you build really interesting mm-hmm. vocabulary for students i think oh i think so i think it beats beats doing the uh uh you know where like you said you analyze the word you look at i mean I, all of those are important where you look for word families and i mean i know how to do all of that but just exploring and seeing what the kids can find. So then the next day that brought up the next day, that particular class that got really, well, they all of them got excited about it. That was what was kind of neat. But the class that wanted me to fill up the wall that next day, the kid goes, Oh, I found a word last night. And I said, hey, can you put it on the wall? Can you put it on the wall? So now they're all like, I, I mean, my wall is really filled up. I'm out of space. It is filled up. I can't reach that high. I need to get me a, one of those uh, library ladders, you know, Working right at the ceiling, you know how they do. But I don't yeah. have one of those. <laughs> maybe I, maybe I just need to bring one and then write, start writing up there. I need to do that. I need to do that. Get just get a ladder and then I, I put it up there and then because I, I can reach at the top with our little step ladders. All right. And just keep filling it up. But they were really excited. So that's what I thought I might do for just this the six weeks where we just fill up with words. Well, and I think that's what we're talking about. How to create you know, creativity or how to use it, how to get more of it. I think a lot of it does come down to like, are are you having fun? Like, are you doing stuff that's fun in the classroom? I think if, if you're having fun doing something, then they're going to, too. I mean, you you're never going to win over every single kid all the time, but if the general direction of a class is towards interesting ideas, doing something out of the, you know, out of the norm, then I think you, you really do just, you win them over and you win the energy battle, right? I mean, how often do, have teachers just kind of sat in a class and the, the energy just wasn't there? You know, you and I have walked into several classes where mm-hmm. it's just like, man, the energy is just so bad here. It's just so, uh, it's not even just negative all the time, right? Sometimes it's just like, man, what a boring place to be. Like we're just doing the same old, same old. And it, this happens like, it happens in my class too. I'm not uh, just insulting like other people's classrooms. Like there's times <laughs> when that happens. I think the difference is though, is that I refuse to stay in that. Like the moment right. my class feels boring to me, I know it's already been boring to them for quite a while. And I know not everything can be next level. Not everything can be super exciting, but it's small stuff. Like you having kids write 
uh, on a whiteboard and, and cover this wall isn't revolutionary, right? It's not like, no. it, it's not uh, something, It's you know, it's not what I call like really like even Instagram level, like Instagram stuff is really like the cutesy stuff and the stuff that really gets stuff and everyone shares it and you can resell it. But what I think you're doing though is more powerful than a lot of that. You know, I think the the more powerful creativity that actually helps kids is that small stuff that, that you're talking about is just changing it enough, doing something a little different. But I mean, just think of all the words they're seeing. Just think of like, even oh. the act of putting words on a wall is creative. It's, it's saying these walls in this building are not owned by someone else. We are controlling them at this point. And I think that's oh, cool. That's a good point. That is a good point. Well, and then of course I told them to any, any word that we put up, if they find interesting, then I wanted them to take two or three pages out of their draft book and just write words. So go find That's why he came back the next day going, I found some words. And then I told him, I said, oh, my gosh, I've created word monsters. And they were all like, can we do the words first? <laughs> you know, I'm ready to move on to the next thing, but they're still wanting to do the words. So it turned out I think that was a huge success. And I think, I think just coming back off of that, I didn't make them write about their weekend. I didn't make them do this. I didn't, we, just, we just explored language. Man. And I think... I think by doing that, that was very helpful. So to answer your first question, I think well, it, I think that set the tone for the whole week. Well, and this is why I was kind of curious about that. Like I work with some people and some people have like returned and they felt good as new. Some people returned and it was like, it was like that week wasn't enough or, you know, it was like there was, <laughs> it was like returning was kind of a hot mess. But there, I was just thinking about like when I, you know, because the stuff that I was told early in my life was, you know, to have kids come back, do those team builders, do those classroom builders. And it's always kind of separate from the, the class environment. You know what I mean? Like it's, what you're doing is, is, is literature based. It's literacy based. Um, but there's a lot of that stuff. It's like, okay, let's play two truths and a lie. Let's write about this. Let's talk about this. And I, I think those things have a purpose, but the more I teach and and the more years I put in, the more, like we just went in with the next mini lesson. Like when I came back, um, we just started again. You know what I mean? Like I made it fun. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't, I didn't make I made sure to make whatever I was doing engaging and kind of high level uh, enough to where they were interested in it. But it wasn't it, – it was we, – we had a class builder in the sense that we were all working together for a similar purpose. Now, my – like I said, my coming back was kind of a false start. My son was sick. So he woke oh. up. He was all he was all puffy and like had this like puffy face and stuff. So I ended up I drew the short card. Um, when your when your wife and you are both teachers, you have to decide who stays home when because you both want to go to work and it's both equally as important. So you kind of have to decide. So I got the short straw and I stayed home. So I went there on the day we came back. Um, so they did that, but I kind of planned. My kids are kind of self-sufficient. If I'm not there, I just tell them their job is to leave the sub alone and just do – just read a little bit and then write. And then if they need me, they can contact me. Like, And they do. Like they really are. They don't need an assignment. They don't need a mini lesson. Um, they just kind of go. So my day started on Tuesday. But that's what we did. We kind of just had this interest – like just an interesting mini lesson where we – 
I taught them how to write what we call a dear reader letter and they're putting together for their projects that they're coming out, basically like an intro to the three pieces that they wrote across genre. And it was fun. It was engaging. And then we read and wrote and that was it. Like there's, I used to put in so much work to like do these games and do these activities. And it's just like a lot of that stuff is just filler. Like if I can't fit it into what I want to do anyway, I just kind of don't do it anymore. And I feel like they're so happy. Like kids, like, I mean, just think about like, especially in middle school, like this might be different for elementary, but at middle school and high school level, like these kids, when they come back, they're like, how many classes are they going to go to where they're asked, what did they eat on Thanksgiving? Or who did they hang out with? Or what did they see? What did they do? Did they travel? Like, well, maybe not travel this year, but you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like all this stuff. And it's just, I always thought that, uh, that's what made me start thinking about coming back from breaks differently which was, I was like, how, like, or coming back from the weekend, it's like, how often are these kids going to hear the same questions? Like, I just, maybe in first period it works, but by the time we get to sixth period, they don't care anymore. They're going to give me the same answers they gave three classes ago. So um, I shall spend a lot of time doing that. But I feel like even that is a creative approach, like taking, because kids, I think, almost expect teachers on that first day back, or maybe even two days back to like kind of do fluff stuff. But I think if we just do creative lessons and engage them in certain ways when we come back, then it's, I don't know. Like it for, to me, it's like, I respect the class enough to do that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do. Well, one of the, one of the things about uh, creativity, I think, and I just thinking of the word, because that's what I told you earlier. I thought of that word. That's just why I thought of my question today. And that was, the fact that um, not everybody feels creative. And a lot of times our kids won't, like when we ask them to do stuff, they're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm not creative. Oh, I can't. I can't draw. I'm not creative. Oh, I can't. And so so I was just wondering how can you, because I think what happened, like even on that day where we were just brainstorming, which is a, a big, huge thing for creativity is being able to brainstorm. And and new ideas and new words and how do you find new things and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so I was just thinking, how do you, how do you maintain creativity? I, I, I listened, I think it's very important because I listened to um, a neurologist. His name is uh, Dr. Brandon Brock. I listened to him, I guess, at a conference about two years ago. And he talked about creativity and he showed pictures of how when students are traumatized, and I told you that I had a few kids that were glad to be back, and uh, when they're traumatized for whatever reason, could be a fear that they had, something that went wrong, it could be true trauma, you know, you don't know, but apparently it changes the brain. And what he was telling us is that when we have students write and create and do new things and brainstorm on new ideas and, and it, it builds this confidence and it actually helps the brain heal. So I've, I find that kind of fascinating. So I think sometimes when we do stuff like that, I think the kids enjoy it because it, it makes them feel safer and it makes them feel confident. But you have to do it like a little bit at a time, you know, maybe as a group. And then you, you know, you foster it by helping them brainstorm, helping them like what you did. You give them in their flow. They know exactly what they're supposed to do and they're, they get in the flow. They know when that flow is going to happen because it's, it's predictable. But you almost have to teach the students how to do that. In a safe environment, and which means you have to accept their ideas. You have to accept the, what they have to say. I, well, I don't know. And I think, honestly, I think that was 
we I think we've talked about that research before. I think that's what happened to me. Like mm-hmm. I just got really lucky in the sense that you know, for all the bad my dad did <laughs> to the family, I he gave me an outlet uh by being a drummer. Like there's old oh. family videos of me, like everyone's, you know, all the kids are running around and partying and they're running, like, you know, they're running around and playing with each other. And me literally the whole time on this video, I'm just sitting in front of the drum set, listening to him play with his guitar, his guitarist. So them two, like what they would do is they would play and like, you know, like this friends and family would like party and, you know, like just kind of hanging out or whatever. And he'd be playing the drums and I would literally be sitting in front of them with drumsticks, just watching and and listening the whole time. Like the whole video is like a three-year-old and that for whatever reason, I was really obsessed with that. So by the time everything started kind of collapsing in my family and everything that happened, happened, I had outlets. Like I remember just, I would come home or like my mom wouldn't be sober. So she'd pick me up and she would drive us home, and I was, like, always terrified I was going to die because she couldn't – she was swerving. We almost got into wrecks, like, every day coming home. And I would just, like, go straight to the garage, turn up Metallica or Linkin Park or Corn, or, you know, any of those heavier mm-hmm. bands, and I would just jam. And I would play loud, and I would play for hours, and I would just get, like, super sweaty. And uh, it was this outlet. And then, you know, that transferred into me writing music and being creative, and my reading transferred into me – uh, kind of writing lyrics for the bands I ended up being in, like as a teenager and stuff like that, you know. And it was just having that creative push uh, gave me a lot of skill sets that I use today. But it's also, uh, I think a lot of that I really did heal myself in ways that other people aren't so lucky. Like, I'm very fortunate that music was just kind of ingrained into me. So I had that. And then I just always use that. Like, uh, I mean, even that, and I think that's why this create this idea of creativity. I think of it a little bit differently, and I think that's why I'm I'm useful for students in their creativity because I know where they are. Like, for instance, I have a student who, like, I mean, she's very sad. She's very she's got a lot of stuff going on in her life. She's very depressed. Her writing, but she feels very comfortable to write out the stuff that she writes about in the class. But I'm able to talk to her in a way that I don't diminish her topics like her like kids who write about their trauma or about stuff that's going on I feel like there's a lot of places where they don't feel like they can even talk about it like it's it's seen as too dark or too negative and there's been teachers on our campus that are like yeah this you know I'm just trying to encourage them to write about positive stuff I'm like why like it doesn't why like why like why why do they have to write about positive stuff um I get like the sentiment of hey don't dwell but a lot of those kids really do need to get that stuff out and and exercise their demons, so to speak, whether it be on paper or in drawing or in theater, whatever they're doing, to let that stuff kind of come out. And I think when I approach kids, I think, I don't know, I think I went a lot of them over by showing them kind of darker stuff. Now, I don't only put dark mini lessons in front of them, like pieces that only deal with that stuff. <laughs> I'm but, trying to get concerned. <laughs> but I do I do quite a bit. Like, I'll put something out there that isn't your typical seventh grade text, for instance. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit more edgy. It's a little bit more honest. And I think I went a lot of them over because of that. And I keep my book in my, in my classroom because a lot of them want to read that stuff. And um, I'm real in that book, too. Like, I think... I don't know that I think like creativity, like you said, there is, it's a doorway to so many things. And a lot of kids feel like they're not creative, but I think what I I was watching my son crawl into 
a cardboard box just like a few hours ago, right? That every kid, you give them a big enough box, they're going <laughs> to find something interesting to do with it. And I'm like, I was thinking, I go, why, why can't classrooms be a cardboard box for kids? Just a huge mm. canvas for whatever you want it to be. Why, like, how, and I think, like, that should almost be our goal. Like, we're taking kids who are wired to be creative, and then we're making them feel like they aren't. Like, <laughs> I couldn't that's imagine right. anything worse. No, no, I think that's a good point. And I, you know, and I think when, you know, I had my my master's is in gifted ed. So of course I had a whole class on creativity and that really opened up a lot of stuff uh, where, and what, what I learned in that class is that as a teacher, if you want to get creativity from your students, you want them to explore and to expand, then you have to provide opportunities for that. They can't, you just, you just can't say, okay, I need a five page paper and expect creativity to happen. Go be go be creative, kids. This go is your be time. Creative. You have thirty and, minutes. Here's your timer. <laughs> yeah, and wow me, you know, wow me. No, you have to teach them how to be creative. Some of them. I mean, they don't know. It, it's something that you practice. Now, some people, I think, you know, GT kids, things like that. I think they have some of them come across that a little more easier. But create being gifted in creativity, and being gifted in academics. It's not always the same thing either. Well, so, isn't there for gifted kids? And I know you've had more training in this than I have, but for gifted kids, I feel like a lot of times it's 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 not so much about teaching creativity, but how to channel it into right. something that is like a, a focus, right? Like that. I feel like mm-hmm. that when I'm working with GT kids, it's really not getting them to have the thoughts; it's getting them to focus it enough to actually make something. And do something with those thoughts once they get it. And so, you know, and then there's another thing. They talked about flow and fluency. Flow is being able to, you know, like you said, channel it, do something. And I'm sure I'm probably not using my definition right there. But fluency is what I'm really wanting to think about. A lot of times you think of that one thing, but it's kind of like you talked about at the beginning. The creativity starts at four in the morning. That's because they practice doing that every day at four in the morning. And so that's where brainstorming, you know, when you brainstorm with students, I do a lot of brainstorming, but when you brainstorm with students, right, brainstorm ideas, there's always that pause. And I, you want to push them past the pause, push them just a little bit past the pause. You know, they think they've thought of everything and then you change your question just a little bit and then you get them going again. And, and so you have to do things like that to get them to be more creative, but you have to foster that in the classroom. So that was something I was thinking about today is how do you continue to do that? And I think showing them, um, another thing I did this week, um, kind of, I kind of got this idea. I blended two ideas that I got from somebody. So, um, Nancy Atwell, she has in her, her book, um, Lessons That Change Writers' Lives, and she has a poetry unit in there, talks about some poetry, and she talks about how she uses the uh, Carlos Williams, uh, the red wagon, I mean, the red wheelbarrow. Are you familiar with that? Uh Uh-uh. Well, the red wheelbarrow is about maybe, it's not very long, it's just, um, so much depends upon a, a red wheelbarrow glazed in rainwater beside the chickens, uh, the white chickens. And that is what the, that's the whole poem. 
So what we did the next day after we did the words, we looked at every word in that poem. And you'd think that would be monotonous, but because I think we did all the words, I said, what do you think red? What are all the things? Look it up. Look it up. What do all the things that red symbolizes? The next thing you know, we're getting all kinds of stuff. And then we even did a pawn. What is a pawn? And then we did, we added preposition. So I have preposition up there and we talked about why did he put a pawn all by itself on the line? So we analyzed that and then later on we imitated it. But it was really neat to get the kids. They were all excited about this. And at first we read it a few times. I was trying to show them how you read and 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 I thought his was really simple, but uh, we talked about it, but then the kids imitated it, and they had to come up with, <clears throat> I let them have the first line, so much depends upon, but we kind of brainstormed some things about what do people depend on, you know, and then they imitated it. Well, we did that as a whole group because, you know, we wrote it in our Canvas lesson, so my whole team has to do it. And it was really kind of neat because one of the uh, teachers came in. She said, this imitation thing is great. I had no idea that these kids could write like this. And it was neat. to. So they started with a line, but they came up with certain things. But anyway, one of her kids said this. Actually, two of them did, I think. They must have been talking like in their brainstorm. And anyway, they said, so much depends upon a teacher. And wrote a poem about what a teacher does for students mm. and gets them to think. And so, of course, that really excited her. Uh, but it was really well done. And it's because they did that imitation. Now, is that creativity? Is that not? I don't know. But what it does is it shows them that they can do something. Now, go do something on your own. Well, and so I, think, I think. I mean, this just doubles down on the idea of. I don't think creativity is really something you. I mean, to debunk a myth, like I don't think it's something you have. I think it's something that mm-hmm. occurs, and it's it's a matter of being able to harness it. Like I think the the whole imitation thing, like. You know, by the way, before I forget, Jeff Anderson has another book coming out. It's Patterns of Power, but it's for adolescent writers through middle school and high school. Oh, that people um, are really wanting that. That that'll be good. Oh, I can't wait. I'm definitely uh, gonna reach out to everyone that we're sponsored by Heinemann, and that book's published by Stenhouse. So we'll see what happens. But they, uh, <laughs> I think I can still manage uh, to talk to him uh, about that on Teach Me Teacher and just kind of pick his brain. I know he's. He's dealing with personal stuff still, but he, uh, mm-hmm. um, that, that book in itself, like this is going to be so valuable because this idea, you know, just the idea of giving kids the freedom to take lines and use them in different ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I talk about that so often. Um, you know, it's funny is so I was telling, uh, my student or my friends, I was, I, every once in a while I share with what I do be, with them because I think they think all I do is tell kids to open textbooks, read a story and answer questions. And I try right. to educate my friends so they can understand what teaching is these days. And one of the things that I've talked about with them is this idea of taking lines and kind of working with them and they've kind of pushed back and they're like, I've had one friend who's like, I don't see how that's creativity. Um, which is funny to me, but the, this, this idea. So I sat down with a student the other day, he just started reading my book, teach me teacher. Um, 
like a, a week or so ago. And he goes, Hey, I really like this, this extended metaphor you used. I kind of used it in a different way. And I go, Oh, cool. So like, it was, it was weird. Like I, <laughs> I sat down. That. Okay. Well, it was, it was so funny because one, he used it very well. Cause in it, in my book, I honestly, I forget how I used it, but it was basically looking at a light and, and not being able to see what it was. But if you just turn your angle enough, you can tell that the light is coming from something and it's actually projecting an image, right? It's basically mm-hmm. you looking at something too directly can actually hurt how you see something. And he did the, he used that, um, for a metaphor for like love or whatever. He was being real sappy with it, but it was good. But he, he clearly stole. Um, some, some of my, the way I phrase certain things and stuff like that. But then he, he invented maybe 10% or maybe 5% was really from me and the rest was from him. But just having that, like, I just think like when, when kids are playing basketball and they're, they're shooting and if they're basketball fans, like not just like the kids who were just picking it up and shooting, but like kids who like, like basketball, watch basketball, maybe play basketball games. Um, when they go up and shoot, like they're not thinking about, who they are as a basketball player. They're thinking about the best basketball player and trying to shoot like them. They're trying to shoot like LeBron James. They're trying to shoot like when I was a kid and liked basketball, I used to try to shoot like Michael Jordan. Like I would do his arm thing. Mm -hmm. Like I would try to mimic him and I would do it as a drummer. I would watch my favorite drummers and then I would go sit on the drum set and I would try to be them. Like that's, that's what you do. You imitate. Well, you imitate until I don't think you ever stop imitating. What you do is you imitate. So eventually you become so sophisticated in your imitation, you mold and merge so many different ideas and styles and uh, what other people are that it becomes something unique, right? Like a lot of the stuff that we talk about, you know, if we never mentioned, you know, Nancy Atwell, Penny Killer or anything like that, if we never mentioned any of them, uh, people would assume that that what we've arrived at in our own teaching has just been from us. Um, But that's just not true. Like, I think there's styles that I've done, but I think if you walk into my room, you walk into your room, you're going to see two drastically different teachers, two drastically different approaches. Mm -hmm. But if you break it down into pieces, you'll go, oh, that's definitely from Atwell. Oh, that's from Laura Robb. Oh, that's definitely from Abydos right there. That is something from Abydos. But when it's you, when it's you, when you combine everything, it becomes uniquely that. And I think we do a disservice by like, I mean, they're 12, right? They're 12 and 13 year olds. They're they're They should be borrowing. They should be stealing from every source that they think is great. And they should have that freedom to play. And I think, I think teachers have this weird, like this weird obsession with like plagiarism. Like, you know when I think when people plagiarize is when they really hate what they're doing and they just want the easy way out. Like kids who actually right. care, <laughs> kids who actually care about what they're writing or what they're writing about aren't, they don't want to plagiarize because they want to put their thoughts, their emotions, their feelings. Like mm-hmm. kids are the most arrogant human beings on the planet. They're so self-centered to get them to not be self-centered is really an act of just trying to force them into a box. I think like, I, I feel like a lot of the problems that, we perceive kids having our teacher cause like, and like really like, cause I, that's what I, like I had a kid, a lot of kids are writing informational pieces and I can tell who really cares about their topics cause they, they're quoting correctly. They're really concerned about saying it right, but like they're not plagiarism isn't even something that they're trying to do because all they want to do is make sure their voice is heard. And I think once you get to that point, I think you've, you've won and creativity is just the process of, making it work. Mm-hmm. 
No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And and when you talked about imitating, my mother took me to a college volleyball game, and this one girl, she always got that serve on the net. So I took what she was doing and I imitated it. So I did do that, and I imitated, it. and then of course, you know, it came in handy. Yeah. Uh, at some point, but uh, well, you know, anyway, you know, yeah, hey, so I, I modeled that for somebody. I have another story. So I had, so okay. I had this friend who lived two houses down from me. Name is Taylor White. He, we hung out all the time. His family was drastically different than mine. Um, I was kind of the renegade kid. He was very much like he couldn't have the more mature game. So he had come to my house to play all of the games that he wasn't supposed to play at his house. But one of the things we shared in common is we loved fantasy. We loved science fiction. We loved all that stuff. So we literally made, so this is, I mean, maybe... I mean, this is definitely elementary school, like later elementary school, but I got notebook paper with scissors. I cut out, I put the Lord of the Rings paperback and I put it against that and I cut out the size of the paperback and then I stapled all these pieces, papers together. And then I wrote a book that was a clear ripoff of Lord of the Rings, like early Lord of the Rings stuff. Um, but I, so I, in my head, I was being an author, right? I had this and I even, I remember mm-hmm. I set up my, I cleaned, my room was always a mess, but I cleaned my desk and I had this in my head as a kid. I was like, I'm going to be a writer. And I opened the desk up and I sat with this little tiny notebook that, that I invented myself and stapled it. And I wrote this like story and the words were huge. So there was only like, you know, five, <laughs> five words per line or something like that. But that just that process, like I was mimicking and stuff like that. And you know, what's funny is for all of the the negativity that my family brought, like in those moments, like they were very encouraging. Like they would read the stuff that I wrote. And I remember him and I, we had this old laptop that he had. It was an old IBM laptop and it was huge. Like it was, if kids saw it today, they'd be like, what on earth is this <laughs> creation? And him and I wrote this sci-fi story together. We just took turns. And I remember sit, staying up late at night on weekends, like all night. He would write for 30 minutes and I would write for 30 minutes. And he would write for 30 minutes and I would write. And we would just go back and forth on this story. And the story was a ripoff of a video game called Halo. But like we wrote it and his family was very open to us doing that. But I'm just like, like in my head, I'm like, why why would anyone not let kids do that? Like, I guess it comes down to not seeing the value in ripping mm-hmm. off source material, but that's what kids are. Like kids are, kids don't, they don't have enough life experiences for the most part to really make original stuff. Now there's stuff that breaks through and there's kids that do create stuff that is astonishingly original and, and combines things in unique ways. But for the most part, developmentally, they are at the stage of borrowing and, and remixing almost. Well, Weird Al Yankovic made a lot of money doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Did he not? Uh, I was watching a, a show just the other day and they were, um, it was kind of a takeoff of uh, the Christmas Carol, and then I, of course, you know, I'm watching a lot of Christmas shows right, right now. We all know that because I'm I'm living with my mom, and that's what we do at night. So anyway, um, but the other one was all off of the Wizard of Oz. But I mean, they created a whole new story 
but they had nods to these books. I think we call those literary illusions, but it was just kind of a... Yeah, that's a the neat, adult way, right? That's how yeah, adults get away with see? it. They say, oh, it's a literary that's illusion. How they, oh, it's a, oh, it's a parody. It's mm-hmm. a parody. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it is. That's how we start. We start, and that's how you show them how to do it. And then say, okay, now take your own words, and let's see what you can do with that. But I think giving them a lot of books, letting them see a lot of different types of ways people play with language, giving them opportunities to do it, I think is is really important. And then, like you said earlier, don't be afraid to do it yourself. Put yourself out there. And when you do that, uh, even if it's a mistake, you know, let the kids help help you correct it. And then it becomes like a community. And I think that's, to me, that's really cool. But um, that's fun. I mean, but pushing them past the pause, I think, is something uh, that has helped me continue that to push them into that creativity a little bit. You know, I have because the I more, really go ahead. No, I was going to say one more thing. The more they do, mm-hmm. the more they can. Yep. And so that's that practice. Well, and I think I really only have one more kind of thought on this, which is so I have. You know how I think it was maybe last episode I was talking about how I teach kids to find lines that they like. Like I'm like, oh, that's a line. Oh, um, yeah. oh yeah, and I kind of I help them like with they're like distraught. I'm like, ooh, you should use that. Chastain, I don't want to use that. I'm mad. No, use that line. That's a great line, right? So there's another thing that I've said over and over again that has become habit, and I've noticed my students have picked it up. And this wasn't an, uh, a conscious choice. I think it was how I think about my own work. In whatever I'm doing, whether it be teaching or something creative like Teach Me Teacher or Craft and Draft or something like that, which is I I think in terms of progress, and I think there's levels of progress when you start revealing, and there's there's progress made just for you for a variety of reasons. So I at the beginning of each writing workshop, I usually kind of give a focus for the day. Because we're usually working on something. Maybe it's figurative language. Right. Maybe it's theme. Maybe it's author's purpose. Something like that. And so right before we transfer, I kind of get them into the mindset of what we're doing. Right now we're finishing a multi-genre three-piece project. So I keep updating them on due dates, just kind of some soft deadlines, getting them to think about, okay, this is how many days you really have. Or this is how many days you have. This is how many days you really have based on what needs to happen. You have a test coming up, so that's going to block a day of work. Um And so what I say is, all right, let's make some progress. So I'll walk up to a student who looks like they're not doing much and I'll go, how's progress? And he goes, he's like, okay. And then, so what my students have started doing is they're like, Chastain, I'm making progress. I'm making progress. And I'm like, like or if I don't connect to a student that day and we're kind of gearing up for the end of the period and they're kind of packing up. I'll just kind of walk them to them like, how'd it go? And they're like, Oh, I've made progress today. And so like, they've picked up that word of it's no longer, did you work today? Right. Which I think is, uh, has a negative connotation to it in, in a lot of school settings. And I think giving them that freedom to just be like, you know what? I didn't do a lot today, but I made progress. It might've been mental progress. It might've been, I might've typed something. It might've been, I got a line down. I got a perspective that I finally want to write from, but just getting them to think about progress, I think is a uniquely 
creative way to approach schoolwork. And it requires you to go to, to call back to one of our older episode or earlier episodes, which is you have to be able to let go of this idea that everything has to kind of be lockstep, right? You can't, right. you can't focus on progress and be someone that needs something due really directly. Like hard deadlines are fine. Like there's a, there's a hard deadline for this project, but there's so much time in between that there's enough time for this progress conversation. But I, the reason what that came from just to kind of explain is there's stuff I do that I do just for me as a creative, like I make a lot of music. Some of it makes it into teach me teacher. Most of it doesn't. It just stays with me. Um, and I have fun with it and I just, I just do that because I love music so much. There's writing I do. There's a lot of fiction. You know, I, I really do hope to publish, um, fiction one day, either for kids or adults and, and really kind of be, let that be a part of my resume professional life and stuff like that. But a lot of it doesn't make it out, right? I just kind of do it for me and maybe I'll turn it into something, um, for a long time, Teach Me Teacher was just, I just did it for progress, you know? And then eventually it became a business and kind of took a life mm-hmm. of its own. But like that stuff, like, I think that is a creative idea of maybe I'm not progressing monetarily, right? Like we, how long have we been talking about craft and draft and haven't made a dime off of this idea? But how many, I've had, teach, I've shared, we've shared this, uh, process with how many teachers at this point, listeners of mm-hmm. the podcast, uh, trainings where we've laid out how we do stuff. There's mm-hmm. several teachers in our district and right. outside in different states that do it because of my connections and the trainings we've done in person together. Like that, that, like if we were just so focused on gains, if we were focused on monetary value, we would never do what we're doing right now because we spend an hour every week talking about this. <laughs> But it, the only thing this does is, one, it helps us process and it helps us connect to other people who are interested in making progress, right? Like I think, I think that's a unique shift. And I think if we focus ourselves on that and our students on that, I think we really do embrace this idea of a creative classroom. Did you make progress? Yes or no? Why? That's good. I like that. Very good. And I, you know, I think that's really important, but I like what you said because it presumes they're working already. How many kids get defensive because you've asked them, are you working? And then they, they shut it down. I accidentally shut a kid down the other day on accident by asking him that. And he he just took that whole entire uh, Chromebook and shut it. And I'm like, don't do that again. <laughs> and I just went on, you know, I, I let him do his little whatever. He didn't say anything. He just shut it. And I could tell I I had pushed him a little too far. So I came back well, and because, said, look, I'm, I'm not I mean, mad. I just want you to, maybe I just should have said, I just wanted you to make some progress. Well, how many, I, how many teachers had come up to him and asked him what work did he get done that day, right? Like how many times mm-hmm. did he face that before you? Or maybe how many times did he face it yesterday? So today he was a little bit more on edge or how many times well, did his mom ask him that? You know what I mean? Like anything. Right. Well, happened. exactly. And how many years has he been doing this? And the thing is, um, I have him seventh and eighth period. So yes, he's already been through it the entire day. Yeah, so he gets a- to me. He's already like, <laughs> he had a whole day of people asking him that. And by the time he you got sure to him, he's like, nope, I'm done. 
sure did. He's like, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. I'm through. I can't do it anyway. So I might as well be done. And I think that's, that's uh, a disservice that I think we do sometimes, even on accident, like I did, uh, is we shut them down and we don't, we don't always realize when or why we're going to, how we do it, but sometimes we do. So I think that's where you got to pivot and you got to figure out, you know, give them their space for a second and then come back and, and, you know, readjust. We you know have to be able to pivot. Man, you know what's so funny? This is why these podcasts are so long because the each point raises a different point, I think, <laughs> which is, uh, and this is why I enjoy talking with you so much because you, you think about teaching the uh, literally, I mean, for the most part, the same way I do. Like maybe there's some mm-hmm. differences, but we're, we're aligned in so many ways. But this idea of, like, how many people do not pause and go, what did I do to make this situation go wrong? Oh, that's true. I mean, there's so many, just the, because there mm-hmm. is, there is a classical view of teaching where it's, I say you do, right? Like there, there is, I think that's very common. And I think a lot of that stems from, I mean, it stems from a variety of things, but I think it's an authority thing. And I don't, I don't think teachers shouldn't lack authority in the classroom. I'm not, I'm not this idealist to think that the teacher doesn't have an authority place in a room of 27, 12 year olds, right? Like I, (laughs) I think they need a strong authority figure and stuff like that. But I think, I think a strong authority figure means something different to us than some other people who might be struggling. I think, I think when we, Mm -hmm. when you or I have a bad interaction with a student, which happens, I think we more than often look at ourselves before we ever blame any other aspect. We we go, what did we say that we could have said differently? What did what did mm-hmm. we do beforehand? What what did we on accident like what did we tell the kid was okay subconsciously before we decided nope i'm just not done like was it a day where we just didn't want a lot of talking so we shut it down but for the last three weeks we've been letting talking just kind of fly off the chain like (laughs) that's my problem that's always where i go wrong is i'm so comfortable but some days i'm like you know what i don't need this not today it's a day and that's always a that's always a bad choice on my part when those days happen um, it's well, my I fault. Do have, I do have a small solution for some of those days. Okay. And that is you, you let them write. Okay. And you let them talk to each other, but they have to do it in letter format. So it's a silent discussion day. <laughs> <laughs> good and one. then they're busy writing and they do, they have to have two different colors. This is at least COVID might be a little bit different now, but that when we could pass papers, they'd have two different colors. I'd set them across from each other and then they would have a conversation, but they'd pass the papers back and forth and each one had their own and they could talk about anything that they wanted as long as it was classroom appropriate. And then they were going to, and then, and then they were going to turn it in and then I would turn it into a dialogue lesson the next day. But anyway, that was something I did to help me on days that were pretty rough, you know, cause as a mom and you, you know, you said you drew the straw the other day and you had to stay home because children get sick and some days you just don't feel good. So anyway, I always had that little go-to and they, they would get excited. Are we going to well, get to silently discuss today? I mean, and think about how many pages they wrote over that. Right. Just think about all the pages I got. 
Well, there's so, I mean, there's, I think it's obvious that teachers have, you know, it, teaching is such a unique profession in the sense that we have, I think creativity is a solution to a lot of these problems because, you know, we, stuff happens at home. Like you've been, like your house literally became the Atlantic Ocean, like, <laughs> and you're having to deal with, like, <laughs> you're having, it goes out, out the street. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, I mean, so I had you, craters. Yeah, I mean, you've had that, and you've you've shared some of your other experiences where, like, there's things going wrong around you that stuff like that happens. Like, my wife, like her uh, dad, was in the hospital for like a week this week, kind of right after Thanksgiving, oh, no. and he he's okay, by the way. But he, okay. um, you know, it was it was a big thing, and it, it weighed on her, and it weighed on me in a couple ways, and there's. And as a department chair, like I take my position very seriously in the sense that I really want to help raise a, a quality team that not only cares about each other, but more importantly, cares about the kids that they serve and cares about why we're here. And I, I, I really want to encourage all of my teachers that are on my team to embrace who they are so they can be happy in their classrooms and, and, Mm -hmm. and, and rise to the occasion that we're being asked to rise to right now. And I I take that very heavily And my, luckily my team, they're open. So when they're mad or when they're, uh, thankfully it's not usually towards me, but they're mad about something or they're feeling disenfranchised or something like that. A lot of that weighs on me and they come to me a lot and they, they share mm-hmm. these stories about their problems and their anxieties and stuff like that. So when I have a bunch of kids walk into my room, I have to make a physical and mental action to be like, nope, I have to be here for the kids right now. That's I need right. to check. I need to check every single one of these problems, not ignore them, but just check them for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it's funny though. I, I'm very fortunate in the, in the sense that, because I've laid so much foundational work to my workshop, when we're reading, kids are reading and I get that breath and I can, if I need to process something mentally, I have that time while kids are reading. And then in writing, they're so determined to write creative stuff and they're so engaged in their writing that I'm never, I never have a downtime. I don't. It, the moment writing starts, I go, who needs to see me first? Five hands go up. The first hand I see gets the first conference. And then I'm conferring literally the rest of the time. If you need to text me, call me. Like You're not going to get a hold of me because I'm so wrapped in these writing conferences talking about I have one kid doing a blackout poem, one kid doing an informational piece, one kid doing working on a line they've been stuck on for a week. And it just goes and goes and goes. And I'm so fortunate that I've built that. But it's also like that. See, that's my happy place. My happy place is a writing workshop where kids are obviously and consciously working on writing. And I, I don't know, man. I just, I, there's not, there is not a better place for me to be, which is why, like, I, I know <laughs> I want to start a school one day, but like, I might have to go the Nancy Atwell route and like start a school and still do teaching like I just oh, yeah. I never see myself out of the classroom like I, I can't I don't know it's literally the best place to be so in in terms of creativity like set your classroom up that breeds it and I think you don't have to ask that question anymore right I think you're right there but you mentioned conference I have to say just one more thing <laughs> let's go okay one more thing one more thing 
<laughs> well, we're, I told you we were writing poetry. And then the kids were talking about Thanksgiving. Then we did the words. And then I said, okay, we need to write a poem. So anyway, this one boy, he wrote this poem. Of course, it was a mess. And uh, in this poem, you know, it was, and we had talked about color and all that, right? So anyway, in this poem, mom's making turkey. And it's kind of a gray day outside. And he and his friend go outside, or his brother, they go outside. And and by the way, he has a pretend brother, so this was all his imagination, he said. But anyway, in this, his brother dies, okay, while they were outside. And uh, and I'm like, what? Because <laughs> I wasn't ready for us. And did this really happen? And he goes, well, not really. I just thought it would be cool and shocking. And I'm like, okay, well, then let's work on it. And so we... Yeah. So in his conference, I'm like, you really want him to die on Thanksgiving Day? And he goes, yes, it has a message. So I'm like, okay, well, let's see if we can get this out. So what we did is I gave him so he, I, I showed them, I showed him how to break a line because he had like a whole sentence on one line and then yeah, right, you know, it was, right, right, it was right. really a mess. It was, you know, and uh, so we talked about breaking a line, get rid of words. I said, out on this line, what words really don't need to be there? So then we started doing that. And then when it was all said and done, he's like, and it really turned out to be really good. And I said, what about repetition? Is there something in here you could repeat? And he goes, well, it was a great day. And I said, okay, well, let's repeat that. So he would say a line, mom was making whatever. And then Thanksgiving, it was a great day. We went out to play. It was a great day. But a bee apparently bit the boy and their, the EpiPen didn't work. Kind of reminded me of Out, Out by Robert Frost, which most people are not real happy when I read it, but I think that's a cool poem. And I even shared the poem with the, with the kid. And I said, look, Robert Frost wrote, you can have death in a poem. Because I just, I didn't read the whole thing to him, but I read at the end. Right, right, right. And he goes, oh, okay, well, then I can do this. And I go, yeah, because really my gut instinct was like, we can't have people die on Thanksgiving. That's really what I wanted to tell him. But I had to fight it. I had to fight not killing what he was doing. So he goes, I said, now go, go, go right and bring it back and show me what you do. And he came back and it, he had... That's when he started repeating. It was a gray day. It was a gray day. And then at the end, his the EpiPen didn't work. It was a gray day. Wow. So, and then he said, so then he puts it on one line. And I'm like, well, what's your message? And he goes, oh, okay, hang on. So he goes back and he comes back and he comes back with, uh, enjoy everybody every day or be something like that. But it was, it was, you need to love everyone every day or something like that. So it was, it was, wow. it was really, I'd have to reread it again. Cause it's, right, been, right. but it was, it was like that. And so then he ended up love every day. That's what he said. Love every day. And then that's what he made his title it turned out to be really good. And I really hope his brother didn't die. Cause I'd feel bad. <laughs> but well, even he if he, he did didn't. though. Yeah. I mean, well, even see if... how he could deal with that. Yeah, I mean, here. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is literally the last thing we've gone over an yes. hour, but it, we have, there's. We need to stop. I mean, it, it is what it is, but that. So I have a student. I've I've mentioned her. I use her uh, work in one of my talks that I use. I use it at the Todd Nesloni Share Your Story. She's one of my. She she's one of the students who. 
uh, we've grown together in so many ways, and I think she's she's fantastic. She's become a writer that is astonishing, and she may not use it in her professional life, but she should. <laughs> but she uh, she's a, she's a writer who we've created a, a good enough bond to where we I can. We can have really hard conversations about her writing to where it's it's not just, oh, that's good or, hey, there's this. It's, hey, I really – I'm stuck here. I, I Like I can push her quite a bit. Now, she gets frustrated, but we, we're at that level to where we can do that. And there's this poem called – I think it's called The Girl. Um, I honestly forget the title of the poem a lot, but it's kind of an avant-garde poem. It's it's not it's, – it's basically – a laundry list of what this girl in the poem is told to do, right? Like wash your clothes, do this, make sure to curtsy, stuff like that. And it's kind of written a Mm -hmm. while ago. So it's a little bit different values. Um, But she's writing her thematic project. She's working on with multiple genres is how women and girls are just kind of held to different standards, right? Like they have to hold the standards about how they dress, how they talk, how, you know, the weight that they're supposed to have, quote unquote. And she's kind of ranting about this. And I was like, sweet, love it. I love anything about stuff like that. And she was, she was super into it. And she was stuck on this poem. She wrote a good informational piece about how the standards women are held to are not the standards that men are held to. And I was like, I really like that idea. I think it's true. Um, I think you can play with it in a lot of different ways. And she started in a conference. She started talking to me about how her mom will say certain things to her about how she should dress, how she has to talk to boys and stuff like that. And it reminded me of this poem, this poem I have wanted to use in a mini lesson and I haven't for a variety of reasons. It's kind of old. So the language is a little bit antiquated. Um, like I said, it refers to, you know, like washing your whites and linens and stuff like that. So it's not very, it's not very kid friendly. In other words, it's not, right. uh, it's, it's kind of hard. So I've resisted using it and there is some naughty language towards the end. So I've kind of shied away. Um, usually if I use something like that, I'll edit every once in a while, but I was like, you know what? I just don't need to use that. But I told her, I said, Hey, look this up. I was like, there's a word in there. It's okay. You'll be fine. And so she looked it up. She wrote a whole poem with that. And what it does is it connects all this laundry list to like semicolons. And I told her why the, the poet uses that, why the semicolon is used rather than a comma or something like that. And so we had this whole lesson on semicolons, but then we had this whole lesson on her modeling her piece after this. And it was so stupid good. Like, I mean, it was so good. I mean, it went from, mm-hmm. it went from small details like, Hey, you can't have holes in your jeans in school. Right. Like the whole, right. like she talked about kind of the, the perceived value of how sexism, like boys can wear certain things, but uh, God forbid if a girl has a, has a hole above her knee in her jeans, right? <laughs> like, you know, like stuff like that. And it was, and then like how her mom talks to her about like talking to boys through text and stuff like that. And it was, it was so good and it was edgy and it was but she having that moment like you said right giving having this idea of oh there's a poem that does what you're trying to do and then Mm -hmm. giving them the freedom to borrow from something that you know wasn't a mini lesson it was kind of added Mm -hmm. and i think that that culture where we can bring our knowledge as educators, our awareness of the poetry that's out there, the stories that are out there, the nonfiction that's out there. I think if we are creative ourselves and we are open to such a variety 
it feels us to serve students um, the way that they that they need to be served. I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that, or should we close this out? <laughs> well, we have been talking for a while. You probably I have some that, I'm sure. I can always add, but might not always need to, but I'll try to add something kind of short, <laughs> and that is the fact that it is brain research proven. First of all, we have mirror neurons, so we've been born to imitate. Mm. Okay, the brain, mm. we have mirror neurons. That's yep. why children have a little grandbaby right now. And she's like, milk? And we say, milk? We say, oh, door? She says, door? We're imitating. She imitates everything her mom does, and we recognize it. And right, we make right. fun of her mom a little bit about it. You know, like, oh, we know where that came from. So we're born to imitate. Okay, so I think the imitation is good. And then also creativity. It is, you can you can look it up on Google and it shows the brain, the brain that's been traumatized, the brain that's been uh, connected back together with creativity. And I just think that's why it's so important that we consider it in our classroom. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Craft and Draft. I think this is, I think this is my favorite Craft and Draft episode we've done uh, thus far. One, I love creativity, but two, you can just tell we could literally keep going for another hour, but we're not going to, for the sake of all the things. But if you enjoyed this episode, if you are still listening to this at an hour and eight minutes into this podcast, do me a favor. Hit that star button if you have not in your podcast app. Hit subscribe if this is your first episode listening to this. We talk about reading and writing workshop every single week and everything that connects to this. The show Craft and Draft is modeled after our product of Craft and Draft, which is being detailed in a working book. It is also something that we are sharing kind of snippets here and there, but it's ultimately the study of the craft and then the process of drafting both ourselves and with students to create wonderful works of reading and writing combined is our message. And that is what we believe here. So if you believe that too, write us a review, leave a review, share this episode with someone who needs to hear a conversation about creativity and free your classrooms up to do something original. Ladies and gentlemen, we release an episode every single Friday so that you are prepared for the weekend and the coming week of planning. So if you want to do that, hit subscribe and join us. We will never miss a Friday. Hopefully we haven't missed one yet. So we're going to keep going. <laughs> Something may happen, but you know, uh, it is what it is. So hopefully you guys are enjoying your time. We have Christmas break coming up. So hold tight educators. We have one more break coming up and then it's the long haul of that spring semester, but more and all of that to come here on craft and draft. Visit us at craftandraftworkshop.com and always know that we are here for you.